Well, I saw on the news this week that the Powerball lottery went up to a $161 million jackpot, which is a crazy amount of money for anyone to have. Uh, but I know the odds of winning are not very high. And one commentator uh, put it this way. He said, you have a better chance of getting hit by lightning in a frog thunderstorm than you do of winning the Powerball lottery. In other words, not very likely. And, and I think people know that, and yet many tickets keep getting sold. And, and I think it's because people believe that if they would happen to win, their greatest needs would be taken care of. And they believe that their lives would be better. So what, what do you think this morning? What if you won the Powerball lottery? Would your greatest needs be met? Would your life be better? Now, I'm not preaching a message this morning to condemn anyone for playing the lottery. um, But I do want us to think about what our greatest need is. And I would submit to you that our greatest need is not filled with money. We need it, but it's not our greatest need. And for those of you who are thinking um, about playing the lottery or dreaming about the joy of winning it, As your friend this morning, let me warn you, you probably really don't want to win it. And I say that because if you study what's happened to lottery winners over the years, it's not absolute, but most of them, most of them end up destroying their lives. And you see a trail of broken relationships and lawsuits and addictions and robberies and suicide and even murder. And so, for most lottery winners, their lives are not better after they win, and their greatest need is certainly not met. So, if money is not our greatest need, then what is? Well, I believe that uh, in our text this morning, in the book of Mark, answers that question for us as we get back to our study of Mark. Ian is going to come this morning. He's going to read for us Mark chapter 1, verse 35. He's going to read through chapter 2, verse 12 from Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages. So I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. And Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing, and as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. 
and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does the fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Well, Jesus comes with authority, as we said a few weeks ago, and people are drawn to him. He's beginning to draw large crowds. Uh, the number of people who show up for Jesus is rising. And that's a good thing, right? I think so. I mean, we, we like to see a large number of people to come here on Sunday mornings, and that would be a good thing. But that's not our greatest need. Jesus shows us in this passage what we need most. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So Jesus knows the people are coming, and he knows they're coming to see him, some to be healed, some out of curiosity and other reasons, but they're coming in great numbers. And if we had great crowds coming here on Sunday morning, I think we'd be thrilled. And we would try to engage the crowd and we try to get to know them and seek to help them or befriend them. And, and that would not be a bad thing. But Jesus shows there's an, a greater need. And so that's what I want to tackle this morning because I believe that's the main question that our text answers is, what is your greatest need? And first of all, we see a relationship with your Father in Heaven. A relationship with your Father in Heaven. Fellowship with others and using your gifts to help others is important, and Jesus does plenty of that. But first and foremost, Jesus spends hours with His Father in Heaven. Don't misunderstand me. Glad that you come here on Sunday morning. I get fired up when I see you using your gifts that God has given you to serve others, to help others. But more important than those things is that each one of us spends time with our Father in Heaven. He's the only one who can satisfy our longings and fill us up. Jesus shows us that our relationship with God is crucial And when Simon told him that there were huge crowds gathered to see him, he said they should immediately leave. Why? 
because he was much more interested in the quality of the people's response to him than in the quantity of the crowd. Jesus was not attracted by big crowds. In fact, as we look at the passage, he doesn't even want to be known. Look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to it that you don't tell anyone or tell this to anyone. Jesus didn't want to be known. He knew that his greatest need and your greatest need was not the recognition of men. Not the recognition of men. This is a tough one for some of us because we like to make people happy. We like to be known or recognized for the good things that we do or that we're doing. I like that. It feels so good to be appreciated by others or to to satisfy others. But notice Jesus doesn't seek the crowds. He doesn't want to be known. He has a higher motivation. And yet the people keep coming in great numbers. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. So if you can picture this in your mind, it's so crowded, you can't even get to Jesus. And these men go up to the roof and they drop their friend right in front of Jesus. This is a great opportunity for Jesus to show his skills, right? So Jesus admires their faith, and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. What? The man can't walk, and Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven? If this man were in our day, I think he would have said something like, uh, <clears throat> thanks, but that, that's not what I asked for. I'm paralyzed. I, I've got a more immediate problem here. But Jesus knows something here that the man does not know. He knows that he has a much bigger problem than his physical condition. And Jesus is saying to him, I understand your problems. I've seen your suffering. And I'm going to get to that. But please realize that the main problem in a person's life is never his suffering. It's his sin. If you find Jesus' response to be offensive, think about this a little bit more. If someone says to you, the main problem in your life is not what's happened to you, it's not what people have done to you, your main problem is how you've responded to it. That's helpful. Because you can't do very much about what's happened to you or about what other people are doing or saying to you. But you can do something about yourself. 
And when the Bible talks about sin, it's not just referring to the bad things that we do. So so it's not just lying or lust, for example, whatever the case may be. It is ignoring God in the world that He's made. It's rebelling against Him by living without His leading. It's saying to God, I will decide exactly how I will live my life. And Jesus says... That is our main problem. Jesus is confronting the paralytic with his main problem by driving him deeper. He's saying, by coming to me and asking for only your body to be healed, you're not going deep enough. You've underestimated the deepest longing of your heart. Now, everyone who's paralyzed naturally wants to be able to walk so badly And this man is likely resting all of his hopes in the possibility of walking again. And so in his heart, he's most likely saying, if only I could walk again, then I would be set for life. I would never be unhappy. I would never complain. If only I could walk, then everything would be right. And Jesus is saying, my son, you're mistaken. That may sound harsh, but it's so true. Jesus says, when I heal your body, if that's all I do, you'll feel like you'll never be unhappy again. But just wait two months or or maybe four. That feeling will not last. And the roots of discontent in the human heart go deeper. You have got a much greater need. Read an article by uh, Cynthia Heimel. And she describes the deep discontent of our hearts. Um, Over the years, she had known a number of people who were struggling actors and actresses, working in restaurants and theaters to pay their bills. And then they became famous. And when they had struggled, like all of us, they said, if only I could make it in the business. If only I had this or that, I'd be happy. They were like so many of us, stressed, driven, easily upset. But when they actually got the fame they had been longing for, Heimel said, they became miserable, unstable, and angry. Not just arrogant, as you might expect, but worse than that. They were now unhappier than they used to be. And she said, I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, and the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide for them the personal fulfillment and happiness had happened, and nothing changed. They were still them, and the disillusionment made them insufferable. Haimo felt sorry for them. They had the thing they had thought would make everything okay, perhaps like the Powerball lottery, and yet it didn't. And then Haimo adds a comment that startled me. She writes, 
Perhaps when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants your deepest wish. You know what Jesus is saying to the paralyzed man? I'm not going to play that rotten joke on you. I'm not going to just heal your body and let you think that you've gotten your deepest need met. The Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us tries to build an identity on something besides Jesus. Whether it's succeeding or our career or maybe it's a certain relationship or even to get up and walk. We're saying, you know what, God, if I just have that, fill in the blank. If I just have that, if I get my deepest wish, then everything is okay. See, we're looking to the thing to save us from our boredom or our mediocrity. We've made that wish into our Savior. And we would never use that term, of course, but that's exactly what's happening. And if we never quite get it, then we become angry and unhappy and empty. But if we do get it, we ultimately feel more empty, more unhappy. You see... You've distorted your deepest wish by trying to make it your Savior, and now you finally have it. It's turned on you. Jesus says, You see, if you have me, I will actually fulfill you. And if you fail me, I will always forgive you. And I'm the only Savior who can do that. But it's hard for us to figure that out. Many of us first start going to God or first start going to church because we have problems. We all have problems. And we're asking God, just give us a little boost over the hump so that we can get back to pursuing our deepest wish. The problem is that we're looking to something else besides Jesus as our Savior. Almost always, when you first go to Jesus saying, this is my deepest wish, his response is that you need to go a lot deeper than that. Because your greatest need, back to our notes, is the forgiveness of your sin. The forgiveness of your sin. But there are doubters of Jesus. And back then, the teachers of the law were doubters, we see here in the text. They couldn't believe that Jesus had said the man was forgiven. Because the only one who can forgive sin is God. And they didn't think Jesus was God. So Jesus says to them, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? Now, scholars have debated the answer to that question because you can look at it two ways. You could say, well, anyone can say your sins are forgiven. That's easy because you don't have to back it up with any proof that it actually happened. Or the other perspective would say that there were miracle healers like Jesus who obviously could heal the man, so it's harder to say your sins are forgiven because it's a much bigger accomplishment in someone's life. But regardless of how you read it, Jesus obviously has the authority and the power to do both. So at this moment, back in our text, Jesus has the power to heal the man's body just as he has the power today to give you whatever success or relationship or recognition that you've always wanted. 
He actually has the power and authority to give each one of us what we've been asking for on the spot. No questions asked. But Jesus knows that's not nearly deep enough. And he knows what we truly need. He, he knows that whether we're the paralyzed man lying on a mat or a struggling actor or an actor who is now a celebrity, we don't need someone who can just grant wishes. We need someone who can go deeper than that. Deeper than winning the Powerball lottery. We need to be forgiven. That's the only way for our discontent to be healed. So my friends this morning... Your greatest need in life can only be met by Jesus. Your greatest need is to have relationship with Him and to be forgiven of your sins. Jesus knows this. And so He says to the paralytic first, your sins are forgiven. And then later, to prove that the healing is easy for Him and that He indeed has the power to forgive sin, He heals the paralytic. And that had to be a better day than winning the lottery for that man. I mean, his greatest need had been met, and then his greatest wish as well. And so to you as my friends this morning, church family, don't put your greatest wish ahead of your greatest need. Let Jesus meet your need, and then let Him decide if you really need what you're wishing for. He can decide what your greatest wish is and what... Well, let me say it this way. He can decide if that's really good for you to have your greatest wish or not. So by all means, let Him know your desires. Let Him know your wishes continuously. He invites us to do that. But trust Him to know what you really need or can handle. I'm not sure that I personally could handle winning the lottery. Never never had that kind of responsibility. Not sure if I want that, as I said. But, but as I look back on my life, I do know there are many things that I wished for that I'm glad God did not give me. He knows us. He knows what we can handle. He knows what we need. And He likes to bless us with gifts. But He wants us to go deeper. Trust Jesus to fulfill your greatest need. You need relationship with Him and forgiveness. And that will take more than a miracle worker or a divine genie to accomplish. It will take a Savior. And to be our Savior, Jesus knows that He's going to have to die. In closing this morning, Charles Sell has written, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior.